Hi, weather friends. Welcome to the Girls Who Chase podcast, stories of women in weather and storm chasing. I'm Jen. I'm a storm chaser and science communicator, and I'll be your host. Girls Who Chase is a new initiative that empowers and inspires girls and women around the world to pursue the sciences, the weather, and their passions. On this podcast, we'll bring you the badass female and female-identified voices of the storm-chasing weather and science community to raise and tackle some real-life tough questions and issues and identify solutions and paths forward. You can find out more about what we're doing at girlswhochase.com. Now, on to the show. Jennifer Brindley is a storm chaser and professional photographer based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She saw her first tornado in 2007 and has been chasing and photographing full seasons with her chase partner Skip Talbot since 2011. She and Skip spend those seasons focused on not just storm chasing, but participating in cutting-edge tornado research in the United States. When she's not chasing storms, Jennifer owns and operates a boutique portrait studio in Milwaukee. Jennifer's story of leaving the dependable corporate life to build her own business doing something she loved, and one that allowed her to make time for chasing, is a story we can all relate to but not necessarily say we've accomplished. She breaks down for us what that process looked like and how to look for signs it might be time for a change in our own lives, especially when it comes to prioritizing chasing. All right. So... Let's start, let's start with something simple. How did you, how did you start chasing? Well, in 2006, I met a storm chaser named Tony Lawback out of Colorado and um, we became friends. And uh, when I met him, I didn't really know that storm chasing was a real thing. And I had always been uh, fascinated with weather, but specifically, interested in the idea of storm chasing after I saw the movie Twister. And uh, then I met a real life storm chaser and I couldn't believe it. And so I was really grateful that we became friends because he was willing to take me storm chasing. And so that meant I packed up my bag and um, I brought my little point and shoot camera and we went on a really long road trip. And (laughs) we drove around the Great Plains in Eastern Colorado and Western Kansas. looking for supercells and i got my first exposure to what it's like to actually chase storms and um so we did that for a year a year and a half before i finally saw my first tornado Um, but it was a really good lead-in because i got really used to what storm chasing is mostly like which is driving around a lot and um, seeing storms but not necessarily the big tornadoes so um, it was a really good lead into storm chasing uh, in a little bit more of a hardcore way um, i was able to just do it a couple of weeks out of the year and um, you know waiting on that vacation time and all that good stuff and uh, yeah so my first year and a half worth of storm chasing was out of Colorado and it was with a friend. So um, then sometime in there, it was 2008, I ended up moving out of Colorado. I moved here to Milwaukee in the Midwest and Tony stayed there. And so um, at that time I was building my photography studio and I stopped storm chasing for a while. Um, I thought it was a thing I was just gonna have 
been able to do in the past and maybe I um, wasn't going to have the opportunity to do that again in the future. Um, and I was okay with that. I was building a business and a career and I had a lot of work to do. Uh, but then in 2011, Tony called me and he said that he was chasing a Northwest Flow event in the Midwest and asked if I wanted to join. And I said, oh, that sounds really fun. I would love to go back out there again and storm chase. <laughs> and um, and so he came out and we storm chased again and we did not see a tornado, um, but the bug bit me again. And I remembered how awesome it was to go storm chasing. I had sort of let my myself forget how much fun it is and um, all of the magic that you feel when you're out there uh, under a supercell in front of these beautiful skies and, and the freedom you feel. And I got a taste of that again after being in my regular hardworking life for many years. And um, uh, on that storm chase, I actually met my current storm chase partner. Uh, his name is Skip Talbot, and I met him in a parking lot when we were just waiting for storms. And uh, so after I came back from the trip, I was really sad that I didn't get to storm chase anymore. And um, Tony encouraged me to send Skip a note. <laughs> and after a little bit of hesitation, I decided to send him an email. And um, I said, hi, I'm Jennifer. I met you in the parking lot a few days ago uh, when I was chasing with Tony. And uh, I would love to go chasing. If you are ever looking for a chase partner, I'm in Milwaukee, you're in Chicago, let me know. I would love to come along if you would have me. And, um, and he said, yeah, actually, I'm going on chase next week with another storm chaser and you're welcome to come with us. And so I was really excited and nervous and scared. It was someone I didn't know at all, but he had a really strong reputation in the community of storm chasing. And so um, I knew he was a trustworthy person and there was another chaser who was gonna be there. And so I thought, okay, this sounds like a cool thing to try and we can see how it goes. And we got a tornado that day. We got many tornadoes on that first chase together and um, we clicked really, really well. And we've actually been chase partners for over 10 years now. <laughs> <laughs> since that first storm chase out so um, i'd say that that sounds like clicked <laughs> to me yeah it does help when you score a tornado immediately <laughs> on your first chase with someone that's very helpful makes you go oh and then our next our next chase out together we got tornadoes and then the next chase and so it was kind of like is this like um is this like a spooky <laughs> this is a spooky witchcraft thing like this is so awesome and so and unfortunately that streak did not continue um but, <laughs> but it's been it's been really great 10 years so talk to me a little bit about your learning process hmm. like what how did you start to actually learn the mechanics of forecasting what were some of the resources that you used how long do you feel like it took until you felt like you had wrapped your brain around mm. a lot of this? Oh, that's such a hard question. I will start by saying I'm still learning all the time uh, about what it takes to be a successful storm chaser, how to be a good forecaster. Uh, I don't think we ever stop learning that. Um, and that's part of what makes storm chasing awesome is that it's challenging and uh, you have to work at it. And if it wasn't like that, then everybody would do it. <laughs> uh, um, so in terms of 
my learning journey. Uh, I was 100% a newbie at the very beginning. I had zero meteorological knowledge. I had never taken a, meteor a meteorology class. I hadn't taken a storm spotting course. Uh, I knew absolutely nothing about storm structure, forecasting, tornadoes, weather, other than what the weather person told me on TV. Um, so when I went storm chasing for the first time and for the first several years, it was purely a blind trust in the person who was taking me storm chasing. Um, I, I had only really ever been exposed to storm chasing through the movies, right? So I just assume that they feel the sky or like know what a tornado is thinking like these silly things that we see in the movies stick in our brain somewhere and so my concept of a storm chase or what it was um was that these people knew what they were doing and they wouldn't put themselves in a dangerous position because why would you endanger yourself so i had total trust in the person taking me chasing um, i never felt afraid when i was out there uh, even when a tornado formed like on the road immediately in front of us i had no concept of what what was what i i would be looking up at just like the cloud deck of like average thunderstorms or rain showers even and i would look at it with awe like a tornado could spin down out of there out of nowhere at any time but the person who's taking me knows where it's gonna happen and so like i was full of awe because i had no idea what was going on <laughs> um and and so it was great and i refer to those days like i was being a tourist and that's what I was. I take me to the tornado, like take me to the storm. So I didn't actually participate in any of the work because I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what, that it took work. So um, I got really bored with that after a short time. I wanted to know more. And so I started asking questions and that's how we start learning things is by being curious. Um, and so, uh, it was a very slow process from there <laughs> in a whole brand new world of meteorology forecasting, like starting with the very basics. What do we need for a tornado? What do we need for a thunderstorm? You know, what are the ingredients? What is shear? <laughs> what is cape? All of these techo, techno weather geek terms, meteorological terms, I was totally lost. Uh, so it took a long time for me to learn what that is in the first place, how those things come together to have a result that we are looking for. Um, and so it started primarily with asking questions of my chase partner, Tony, and then of my new chase partner, Skip, and other storm chasers that I became friends with or acquaintances with. Um, sometimes someone will describe what CAPE is differently than another person might describe what CAPE is. You know, you can read, uh, you can read a manual, you can read, um, you can look at charts, you can look at diagrams, you can read articles, and there are all kinds of ways to learn is what I'm saying. And the tech side of things didn't really click well in my brain. I really needed more of a visual concept to understand anything about forecasting. Um, reading it in a book is not gonna work very well for me in the way I learn. I'm an artist, I'm a creative brain, I'm a visual person. And so um, <laughs> Skip, my chase partner is a very, very um, well-educated, 
Storm Chaser and he's a veteran forecaster. He's self-taught. Um, I've heard him referred to as a self-taught meteorologist, if there is such a thing. Um, he's probably the closest you can get to that. Uh, and so um, he has that very techie brain, the technical brain, but he's really good at like verbalizing what those technical elements are um, to, to help me understand better. <laughs> so. My point is, I think it's really important to ask questions. And if you don't understand the answers, ask the questions from other people. <laughs> Seek out your answers from multiple avenues because if you don't understand at first, it, it's not because you are incapable of understanding. It just might be that the way it's being explained to you is not a way that is easy for you to understand. That's how it was for me. Um, and so from there, it's just been like slowly learning new things every year you know as new information comes up and as i have more questions because the questions don't stop coming and that's what makes life interesting that's what makes science what it is science is just a curiosity about the natural world around you and scientists are people who are naturally curious and ask questions and want to find the answers to those questions so it's good to have questions and um we should never stop that curiosity about understanding our world and especially storms and forecasting and storm structure and all those things that'll help us be better at storm chasing. <laughs> so. That's a really good point about if you don't understand the first answer or the ser first series of answers that you get to keep pushing a little bit because we do all learn differently and mm -hmm. some of this is not something that you can easily wrap your brain around right away and um also deferring to resources that are practiced in technical education science education i mean i think that's critically important it's not necessary to trudge through long technical textbooks um, right there are lots of other ways to get yeah. that information Absolutely. And it was sort of just uh, a lot of repetition for me as well as very helpful. And so, I mean, another word for that is practice. And um, that's how we get better at anything in life is doing it over and over and over and over again. And that practical experience in the field, when I was storm chasing, I would participate in the forecasting process, regardless of my level of understanding because I wanted to absorb it. And then I wanted to see it play out in real life the next day or that same day. Uh, and then revisit what we saw in the models and see how that translated to real life and adjust. And like, literally it's, it's not even about like perfecting the process because that comes way after. Um, when I would first look at the weather models, it would look like hieroglyphics to me it was just like pretty colors on the map and numbers and lines and i'm like i don't know what any literally any of this is um but then you learn you learn one literal thing at a time like this is what these colors mean okay and then the next time you can learn what the numbers refer to and you can visualize it and then you sort of learn it through you learn it through the, the models themselves. I don't really know how to explain it, but when you're exposed to it enough, 
you can start to map that memory of what you've seen and what it means. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, okay. that's another good point, actually. And I think I'm probably somewhat similar to you. I also cannot learn from a textbook. Um, mm -hmm. I have to kind of con learn the concept and then apply it kind of as right. soon as possible <laughs> or it right. doesn't necessarily stick. And yeah. I, I, when I forecast in my mind, it's a very visual process. <laughs> And I am aware that I don't understand every single mechanism fully or thoroughly or technically that's occurring mm -hmm. in order for then the following, like for a supercell to happen or isolated storms or whatever. But right. I know enough to know that, okay, if these ingredients show up and your contingencies are you, mm -hmm. your dues might be lower than you're expecting, or this might happen that I can still expect the following um, right. in this general vicinity. <laughs> so Correct. I think it's like <laughs> enough to be dangerous, right? Um, and right. then you just learn by doing over time. I think that's how you, yes. like you said, you ask the questions, you build that concept in your mind and, and whatever that learning process looks like for you as long right. as it gets you there at the right time in the right location, then right. you're doing right. it. Right. And that's why along with that, like no one is alone in that forecasting process. Like you might be alone in your room or in your car looking <laughs> at everything or whatever, but like, I feel like community and networking with other storm chasers is so powerful and like making those friendships and connections because you can just be like, are you looking at tomorrow? Like, tell me what you think about the P watts. Are we going to have a high precipitation storm or whatever? Like, are the winds veering or am I crazy? You know, and um, you can always like bring in those second and third opinions from your friends, uh, even if you decide to chase solo. So um, I think leaning on others and talking about it with other people is also part of what makes it fun because it's sort of like it's a it's like it's a um, it's like it's a riddle you're all solving. It is a problem to be solved because it, it really is. Um, and you're deciphering this problem and you want to like earn the prize. And so, you know, put your heads together and you can work those, um, you can work those problems together, which is part of the fun too. Awesome. So, I'm going to ask you what sounds like it's the same question, but it's is n very different, which is <laughs> sure. why do you chase? So simply put, I can't not chase. I've tried. I've tried to stop chasing um, and I just find myself sitting on the couch, staring at the radar, thinking about what I would be doing if I was there. Um, so I have to. Uh, and it's because it's like a compulsion. I am compelled <laughs> to, like to do this thing. And it's because it's, well, it's like a sickness. Um, and I mean, I have, I realize that I have this opportunity every year to see the most rare thing a human being can witness in their lifetime or one of the rarest things that a human being can witness in their lifetime. And I have the opportunity to do that every single year. And so I can't waste the opportunity because I have it. <laughs> uh, and because I 
really want to do it. If there comes a point in my life where it doesn't bring me more joy than it, anxiety, <laughs> then I'll reconsider. Uh, I've experienced a great deal of anxiety and stress, financial stress, logistical stress, lack of sleep for days on end, um, physical discomfort. Like storm chasing is hard and you sacrifice a lot to storm chase. Uh, and despite all that, I still have to do it. <laughs> so really just like everything else in life for me, it is a, it is a gut feeling. It's a balance of whether something I'm putting my time and effort and money into brings me more joy than pain <laughs> or more joy than other things, you know, joy, right. that, that joy has to be the primary thing I get from this activity. And uh, as soon as it isn't anymore, then I will have to reconsider how I'm spending my time. Um, so until that point, it's the thing that brings me joy. It's the thing that recharges my batteries. It lights my fire. I get excited talking about it and experiencing it. There's nothing else like it in the world. And so every spring you will find me out there trudging along for 20,000 miles in search of spinning water vapor. And that's just the way it's going to be. So. Amen. <laughs> I like it. Um, so what does being a girl who chases mean to you? I had to think about this. Um, to me, it means being a part of two communities, right? It means I am a part of a community of storm chasers and I am a part of a community of women who storm chase. And so it's really being a girl who chases is just being a part of a community of people who are like me, who are like-minded and who um, want to support one another and empower one another. And that's what being a part of the Girls Who Chase community is, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So I don't think it's, for me, it's not, being a girl who chases isn't so much about my experience in storm chasing. Um, for me, it's more about the part of the community um, that the community that I can be a part of uh, as a woman who chases. I'm really excited about asking people this question in particular because I feel like it comes up with me often um, and maybe changes or has evolved over time. And I am just dying to hear the answer to this from other people. What cool. is the best life lesson or lessons that chasing has taught you? Mm -hmm. I had to think hard about this. Uh, but really it just came down to two very simple things. One, storm chasing taught me that absolutely anything is possible. And it also taught me that nothing is ever quite what it seems it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go into some detail about that one, please. <laughs> okay. Um, I find that, well, just as most seemingly glamorous things in life, uh, it takes a lot more work and sacrifice and effort than you maybe think it does. And I also think that it's um, when you look at a storm chaser, like 
on the surface, you go, wow, you know, like that's the response. You saw that. Wow. You get to go see that. It's like, I don't just drive there and it's there and then I go home, but sometimes that's the feeling just like like a magnificent landscape photographer who has a shot of snow-capped mountains with the auroras overhead they didn't just drive there get the shot and go home like what it takes to witness that and see it and experience it and accomplish it um, is not seen when people are just consuming that media product that's delivered and i feel like it's the same exact thing for storm chasing as it is for people who, you know, go to the Himalayas or go to the Serengeti and they spend weeks and weeks and weeks trying to wait for that perfect nature shot. And it's an entire lifetime of waiting for those shots and the small moments where they get those shots. And then that's 75 years in a coffee table book. But we just look at that coffee table book and go, wow, this person has the coolest job, you know? So I think, going through the process of storm chasing and like learning what it takes really um, taught me that nothing is ever quite what it seems. There's always so much more that goes into it. And, you know, so on the flip side of that, anything is absolutely possible, but you have to be willing to put in the work <laughs> and the sacrifice to get to it. So. Yeah. It's it, yeah. as you were describing that, I was thinking of that kind of visual analogy that's often used of the glacier or the iceberg where you can see mm -hmm. the very tippy top of the iceberg and not, yeah. you know, the bottom, like nine tenths yeah. <laughs> of it that go into yeah. actually creating what somebody sees. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Okay. So what important lessons would you say that you've learned that you wish you'd known when you start started or would want to share with our sure. listening community? <laughs> Sure. Um, I had to give this one a lot of thought too, because <laughs> it's a similar question, but it's not. Um, and so really I can only try to look back and think to myself, what do I wish that I had been empowered with from the beginning? And for me is more information. <laughs> uh, so what I mean by that, um, and it sort of ties back into your first question, um, or one of your first questions, that storm structure identification took me the longest to learn out of anything. And I think it's one of the most valuable things you can have uh, in the field. And so I like to say that if I had access to the amount of educational information and the materials uh, and the YouTube channels that exist now 10 years ago uh, or 13 years ago, I would be just in a better place. I would have had better photos. I would have had better experiences in the act of storm chasing. Like I would have known where to look. I would have known what part of the storm does what. I would have known where the tornadoes are supposed to be, all of these things. Um, I would have even had more joy in looking at the storm because I could have said to myself, oh, that's this, this is that, that's this, yeah. you know, instead of just like a vague wash of stormy textures, which is what it was for a long time. Um, and so literally the, okay, so I would just say go, if you're new and you want a, a big head start on me when I started, go to YouTube, go to Skip Talbot's 
Storm Chasing Chronicles. And he has a video on there. He, he, he produces like some of the best educational materials uh, and productions on storm chasing in the world. And so um, he has a video called Storm Spotting Secrets. And I wish that that video existed 15 years ago because it's amazing. And the thing that I appreciate the most about it is that it gives a visual sense of what the storm structure is and what the different parts are. He does labels and there's some moving examples. There's some still examples. And I watched that. He's my chase partner. And I watched that video like a hundred times. I think it's a great video to watch before every storm season. So you can just brush up and um, it's, there's no better way to prepare yourself for seeing the storms in real life than to absorb that material. So for me as a visual learner, that was, that's the thing I wish I would have had. And so in terms of lessons, I'm thinking actual lessons, like school lessons, informational lessons. Um, I don't have like a philosophical lesson I wish I would have learned from the beginning. I really just wish I would have had uh, an easier way to absorb and learn the information that I would need in the field to be more successful. And so that would be my number one tip. If I could go back in time, that would be what I would do. I guess, you know, I often um, am disappointed that I only really recently started chasing, but that has also meant that I've had access <laughs> to all these wonderful yeah. tools that now yeah. exist. And, and that is definitely that both, uh, storm spotting secrets but also just a lot of skips chasing videos in general in terms of learning to position learning the parts mm -hmm. of a storm i mean some of it mm -hmm. is honestly just repetition as Absolutely. well i mean he tends to position as i've noticed in in relatively the same location and so once you can kind of recognize what happens when a storm you know starts to develop rft and mm -hmm. when something is imminent um, I mean, that really has helped me enormously grow in yeah. education. So that absolutely. Yeah. And there are a lot of channels that can give you similar types of information. There are books um, and articles and all that stuff. So I mean, again, like, however you learn best, I would just definitely say dive in as soon as you can gobble up all that information and keep keep gobbling it up in the off season. And um, it will give you your best shot when the spring rolls around. <laughs> Love it. So one more kind of logistical question, and then we'll move sure. into why we're, why you and I are talking specifically. Sure. What tips, tip or tips do you have for other female chasers that you think would be useful to share? I have four. <laughs> awesome. I, like I have four, I have four tips. These are things that came to me. Um, so the first tip is multifaceted uh, and is just prepare. Um, Frankie says, be prepared. I should be wearing my Frankie says, be prepared shirt right now. So if you don't know who Frankie is, you should check him out. He's a Canadian guy who's obsessed with the weather and he's the awesome. best. Yeah. Um, so my tips start with preparation and my type of preparation is a um, mental preparation and that's um that starts with education which is what i keep hammering <laughs> so definitely start with your storm spotter course if you haven't done that yet and that is going to give you your absolute basic foundation that you're going to build all your other knowledge on 
Okay, so that's step number one. Step number two is um, absorbing resources that work best for your learning style. For me, that was videos. Um, and there are a whole bunch of different ones. YouTube is a great place to start for that. Storm uh, Skip Talbot's Storm Chasing Chronicles and Hank Shima or Pecos Hank. Those are the two that I like the best. Um, Mike Hollingshead also put out a forecasting DVD that I wore to death in my earlier days. Um, that also dives into hodographs and some more um, advanced type of things. But if you feel like you're maybe in that place where you want to learn more about hodographs and um, SQTs and like what on earth are all these weird things I'm saying, um, there is a, I believe it's a forecasting 101 is what the DVD is called. So I'm not sure exactly where you can find that, but you can look my callings head up and see if he will sell one to you. Uh, <laughs> so those are my favorites. My tip number two is to team up with someone. I think there's power in partnership and there's also safety in numbers. So I think it's a really good idea to have someone that you trust uh, in the car with you when you're chasing um, for so many reasons, uh, but you're driving at night, you're driving in the middle of nowhere all the time. And it's really nice to have someone that you can rely on uh, who you trust. And so I think that's a really good idea. And even if you're not in the same car, if you want to drive in tandem together, that's cool too. Uh, if you want a lot of autonomy, but maybe come together at chasing time, that's cool. Like, so the other part of it is just networking and making connections. And that's my third tip, because I think um, as much as some of us, some of us might feel like we're nomads or we're wandering, we want to explore our personal connection with nature by ourselves. Um, there are some chasers who are like that. Uh, it's still very important to have resources and to have connections. So at the end of your day, being a loner in the field, you can have dinner with someone if you want to, or if you get stuck, you have someone you can call. Um, if you have questions, you have someone you can text. And I think it's just really valuable to nurture those relationships. And Girls Who Chase is a great place to start with that because you can start noticing other women, other girls in your area, um, or who have an interest in chasing that you might connect with, and you can start to build friendships. And I think friendships are the most powerful thing um, in the process of storm chasing. It's the thing that's going to save you when you feel like you have, when you're sick, when you uh, are broken, when you're hurt, if your vehicle gets smashed, if you get into a car accident, if you hit a deer, like there are so many reasons that reaching out to others um, will be super beneficial and those relationships are really important. And then the very last tip I have is to practice, 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 practice and learn and just do that forever. So there you go. <laughs> what is your most treasured chase or treasured storm mm. and why? Um, when I first started, I really wanted the white the singular white tornado like this one right here on the wall, you know, um, it was after the white tornado for some reason it was in my head. So the first time you get that is very special. Um, the first close range experience is very special. Um, I, I've had many photogenic chases where no one was impacted. That's also very special. So it's really hard to narrow it down. I think I would have to say um, the Pilger Nebraska tornado day was probably the 
it has to take the number one spot. And I think every time I try to do this to build a hierarchy, Pilger ends up at the top because it was it was the type of tornado event that could be a once in a lifetime type of tornado experience. Uh, even for someone who's out there all the time to be able to witness twin EF4 tornadoes on the ground simultaneously is otherworldly. Um, and the way that that chase evolved, the different forms that the tornadoes took, it wasn't just like two fat tornadoes and then it was over. Like one went into the rain and then a new tornado formed and we got that up close experience. And then the Pilger tornado came out of the rain and it was a skinny rope. And then it careened and slingshotted around the Wakefield tornado at 90, 4.6 miles per hour and became the fastest tornado on record. And we had a front row seat for it. And there's a lightning bolt that struck between the tornadoes right at that moment. It was like, oh, I mean, yeah. I can't, I can't explain how insane that is to witness in person. And um, it's like your wildest tornado dreams coming to coming to life in reality, like the craziest thing you could come up with in your subconscious brain and you wake up and go, wow, that was the weirdest chase dream. I can't believe it. There were tornadoes everywhere. That's what that day was like. Like, have you ever had an amazing experience and then you cry because it was so amazing? And maybe that happens yes. to me every now and then. And so it was that type yeah. of an experience where driving away, I could just go like you realize it's over. You're you drop your shoulders and you go, I can't believe what just happened. And then the tears just come because you're so moved by what you just experienced so i don't think i've ever had quite that response after a chase uh and so pilger nebraska that has to be it for me all right so um a big part of the reason that i wanted to talk to you and i wanted to talk to you kind of early um in the inception of our podcast recording process yeah was because you and I have talked a lot about how you have built your life around your loves. And mm. I know that we have a listening audience of a, a mix of people who, you know, some are lucky enough to already be able to do that. Some are making massive life changes. Um, we know that chasing is somewhat intrusive to a standard if you live like a nine to five work week, we've got single parents, we've got people of varying income levels. Um, I mean, it runs the gambit. And yet, you know, we all do our best to find a way to chase to make this mm -hmm. love happen. Mm -hmm. And you have found a way to build your loves into one semi cohesive lifestyle mm -hmm. that keeps you joyful and passionate and um, facing forward that mm. that, you know, I think is very inspiring. So I, mm. I wanted to ask you, you know, I want I want you to talk about what that process looked like for you. Okay. And, you know, what learnings, I guess, from your experience, could you pass on to girls or women or anyone who would mm -hmm. like to do the same. Awesome. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's see. Let me think back. <laughs> so what happens when you get older is that you have to think about the years and what was happening in the years. Uh, <laughs> yep. That's uh, true. <laughs> but that also means that you have more experience, more learning, more failures that you've learned yeah. from, right? More yeah. successes, oh, yeah. all of those things. Oh, I'm grateful for every minute I get. So let's see here. Um, when I went on my first storm chase in 2006 or 2007, um, I was working a nine to five job in property management. I was saving vacation time or chasing on weekends, which is what a lot of people do because we got to pay the bills. So um, I did that for a long time. And uh, I took a break from storm chasing uh, during the time in my life when I transitioned from one career into another, uh, because it takes a lot of time, effort, and energy to do that. And um, so in 2008, I quit my day job and I moved to another state to build a photography business and a life with the love of my life, my husband, Dan. And so it was a lot of big changes all at once, moving to a new state, switching jobs, building a business from the ground up, and uh, all the other things that go along with all of that. And um, like finding new friends and figuring out who I am as a human being <laughs> and all of that and building my skills and working. Um, and so that consumed my life for a while. And so um, something to take from that right off the bat is that if you want to design your life, you might have to take a break from the things that you love the most in order to accomplish that. Uh, buckling down and creating the life you want takes a great deal of work and dedication and sacrifice and drive and also an ability to look into the future to see that all the work you're putting in is going to enable you to do the things that you love. It's so multifaceted and there are so many layers. Um, so uh, for me, I just wanted independence in my, in my life in terms of having my own business. Um, for me, that was achieved through building a photography studio. And certainly not everyone's going to go build a photography studio. You can build a business. You could find the dream job that gives you flexibility to take time off to work remotely. You could build static income for yourself. Um, you could write. There are so many different avenues. Uh, I haven't even scratched the surface. So uh, you definitely don't need to feel like you even have to build your own business because that's really, really hard. Um, but I encourage people to think creatively about the end goal and, and then work the problem backwards. If what I want is three weeks off to chase in May every year, like think big, say three weeks in a row, what, what would it take to get that in your life? And you have to just work that problem backwards. And so for me, I had a lot less to overcome than a lot of people have. I have so much privilege in my life and all of these privileges stacked up in my favor. Um, I had no student debt. I, don't, I didn't have a car payment at the time. My dad bought me my car. Um, I, I got a scholarship uh, for my first two years in college and then I decided not to keep going. Uh, I 
we rented from family when we first moved out to Milwaukee. Um, I didn't have any illnesses I was dealing with. We didn't have sick family members to support. Um, we have no kids. Uh, so all, all of these things uh, definitely accelerated my ability to build this life for myself. Um, however, I know people who have built a life for themselves in the, in the way that I'm referring to, who have had to overcome incredible odds, who do work as single parents, who have debt, who have illnesses or physical challenges in their life, and they still are able to make that happen. So um, if you're, you know, if you're dealing with challenges in or around those those um, realms, I want you to not be discouraged because it is still possible. It may mean that you have to work harder than I did, um, but be encouraged because there are others who have worked harder than me who have accomplished similar goals and it's definitely possible. Uh, I spent a few years building my photography studio and my business and um, I didn't start off like okay, I spent two years building a photography studio and now I get to take May and June off. Like it didn't quite work that way for me. It was very incremental and I took baby steps. Just like if you don't have a plan to replace your income, don't quit your job type thing, right? So you gotta have the plan first and then jump into it. Um, so once I had the studio, I was like, okay, I can take off uh, this amount of time and then I can take off this amount of time. Uh, so I took some time off, moved to a new state, and I built a wedding photography studio. Uh, it was the perfect solution in my mind. I loved weddings. I loved photographing weddings. I grew to love photographing weddings. And you made some pretty decent money photographing weddings. And so if I could photograph 20 weddings a year at $2,000 a wedding and do a couple headshots, you know, that was a living. And um, I, it did mean that I worked weekends, um, which means, uh, it eliminated a lot of chasing opportunities for me. Uh, and wedding season is storm season, uh, typically spring months uh, into the summer. And so that was tough. And also weddings book a year or more out. So, uh, it would be summer and I would be booking weddings for weekends in April and May and June. And I would be like, <sighs> And I had to start deciding, do I want the money or do I want the chase? And so I had to start blocking time off of my work schedule. I had to actively say, okay, I'm the boss. I have to be able to say, I am not taking weddings um, from this date to this date. And so I started to maybe take a week or two weeks, you know, give me two weekends and two weeks to chase and we'll start there and make sure that my income can support taking that time off, missing two, three, four weddings. I mean, two weekends could be four weddings. That could be eight to $10,000 that I don't bring in, plus the money I spend to go chasing. So, uh, and not to mention all the time that I don't work, do a headshot or a boudoir session during the week. That's time I don't spend marketing. That's time I don't spend editing. So um, it is a sacrifice when you run your own business. There as a single wedding photographer, there's no one else to do the work for me. I couldn't outsource that. I wasn't in that place. So, um, and I did that for a lot of years and it was great. Like I felt like I had earned, I knew exactly when my two weeks vacation was coming and like, I was good with it. Uh, and so I did that for a long time. And then, um, 
had the opportunity to start working with a research team and that sort of started to require that we would be in the field for longer periods of time. Uh, and so it started to kind of mess with my balance a little bit in terms of how many weddings I could take, especially living in Wisconsin. If I lived in Orange County, California, I could just pack my December and January, but out here in Wisconsin at the Blue Moose Lodge, there's no light after four o'clock and everything's dark wood and you don't shoot weddings here as much in December is my point. So um, along with that, I started really developing anxiety uh, and burnout with being a wedding photographer. Um, so much so that it was like physically affecting my body. I would feel nauseous and have tummy issues the night before a wedding and the morning of a wedding. I'd get there, I'd go into work mode, no problem. I Everything was great, the wedding was great, the clients are great. And I'd be like, okay, it's fine, you know, it's great. And then the next wedding, I would be dealing with the same issues. Um, so all of these things sort of started making me reconsider the wedding photography business. Maybe this isn't where I'm supposed to be. Uh, and then I went to Virginia to be photographed by a double master photographer who is also one of my oldest friends. And she gave me the most beautiful portrait experience. And it moved me so deeply that I realized that that was what I needed to start doing. <laughs> and so I, I, and like I knew at the end of my photo shoot, I broke down in tears and I hadn't seen a single image of myself, but I, I feel like it was a multifaceted cry session. It was that the experience I had was so powerful and moving and empowering and affirming and that I also realized this is the answer. This is going to be a big change. Like this is changing the trajectory of my life. Like that moment changed my life. Um, so I came back to Milwaukee and I immediately started, I immediately started researching how to be a portrait photographer, specifically how to photograph women, uh, and how to create a business model that would be profitable so that I could literally decide how much money I wanted to make in a year. I could price myself appropriately and create the experience and the service that would earn me the money that I needed to take out however much time off that I wanted. Uh, and so it sounds like a lot, it is a lot, um, but I had the plan. And so I just had to start working the problem backwards and I did that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I was photographed by her, I think in 2016. And then I said, okay, 2017, I am taking five weddings and that's it. And so I, limited i didn't go hardcore immediately no weddings i did a transition period because i was also nervous weddings book out a year in advance i knew how much money i was going to be making with portraits it ain't like that like you're booking two three four months in advance maybe as far out a couple shoots five six months out if you're good um but yeah i was really scared of going from like the set solid income that i was expecting to like a month by month it felt like I was going to be living month by month and that scared me to death. But I also had to realize quitting my job and that paycheck I was receiving for building a business is the same risk. It was going from the sure thing, the thing I thought was the sure thing to the thing that was the unsure thing. So yeah, 2017, I took five weddings and 
spent the rest of the year photographing people in my portrait studio, building that business, doing the pricing with the very first person, going through that process, like first client, second client, third client, and like seeing really good results right off the bat in terms of average sales and things like that, uh, which is amazing because it worked. And I saw that it was going to work. And all I had to do was get people in my door. So um, so from then on out, it was just do. Just do it, just do it, just do it. And so I photographed my last five weddings and it was full steam ahead with portraits only. And it's been that ever since. And I don't know if that's what the future holds, but I know right now it lights me up and it gives me so much fulfillment in what I do. Um, fulfillment in like, you know, I like to ask, do you wake up excited to go to work? Does your job make you feel fulfilled? Do you feel sick and anxious? Do you feel angry when you go to work? Do you feel burnt out? Do you feel disrespected, undervalued? All these things I experienced, I experienced all these feelings in my day job. So I think the important thing to think about is how do you spend your time and how does, how do those tasks and those things you commit your time to make you feel? Do they bring you joy? Do they bring you um, fulfillment? And so, you know, there's a question, um, what does it look like to build your life around your loves and passions? And it's listening to your body, listen to your anxiety. Those things are your intuition. Uh, and so those are the most powerful guides in my journey to design my life to be what I want it to be, at least for now. Uh, and that also meant prioritizing joy. Um, and then also prior prioritizing the joy I experienced in storm chasing. And so that meant giving myself more time to be in the field. <laughs> and I couldn't do that while I was shooting weddings. So while I might've felt joyful shooting weddings, I could do a different type of photography and that would enable me to have more joy in that chasing experience. Um, and with that, it involves taking risks because it is a risk to leave the sure thing, to try the unknown thing. And so, yeah, risky and scary, like saying goodbye to insurance, saying goodbye to your 401k matching program, that weekly paycheck where you can just show up and do your job and get the money and not have to worry about any of it, even if you have a wide variety of stumbling blocks in your way. Um, it just might take a little bit longer. And the last piece of it is just doing the work because no one's gonna build a dream life for you. <laughs> like, because no one was going to build a dream life for me. I like to say the eight, nine, 10 hours you're working at your daily, your day job that you don't love or that won't get you where you wanna go. If you just take all those hours of work and put them toward the thing you want instead, then your wildest dreams are gonna come true because you're powerful and you're just gonna watch your life unfold in the way you want it to unfold for you. You're capable of that. We are all so powerful. I think we just forget to tap into that power. We're limitless. It's really true. My last question for you is where can people find you on social media? Yeah. Uh, wow. I, uh, I am a little bit of a slacker when it comes to my storm chasing social media, if I'm very honest. Um, my pages are sorely neglected, but I do my best. So you can find me on Facebook, 
if you go to the face of a storm on Facebook, uh, I have a storm chasing page there that has my storm chasing work. And I try to keep it updated through the storm season. Um, you're not going to see much action on there right now, but I try to post pretty regularly when we're out in the field. And then on Instagram, you can find me under J Bryn Ubel. So that's J B R I N U B L. That's not very helpful. I know I'm very sorry. That's where I do. It's my personal Instagram and I post some storm chasing things on it. Um, so Twitter tread lightly because it is a storm chasing space for me, but it's also where I release my pent up political angers and opinions. So just be aware that Twitter is both of those things for me. And so you can find me on there. I am at JBE photography. Um, it's Jennifer Brindley Ubel is my name and you'll see that on there. Um, but if the political stuff annoys you, that's totally cool. You can just come find me on Facebook or Instagram and you'll see a lot less of that there. So okay. <laughs> we got to have a spot for it. You know, yeah. Twitter, oh, ends yeah. being my, yeah. Twitter ends up being my outlet. <laughs> well, thank you very much for being one of the first, actually the first to record with girls That's who exciting. chase in a formal interview. So thank you very oh. much for your time and the insight. And we look forward to continuing to post all of your amazing work and share all the cool parts of Jennifer Brindley with <laughs> the Girls Who Chase community. So thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor. Today's episode was recorded and edited by me, Jen Walton. Our music is by Storm Chaser Lori Bailey in collaboration with artist Inez Lobo. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can follow us at Girls Who Chase on Instagram and Twitter to hear about our upcoming events and see storm photos and videos from our badass contributors. You can support this initiative by donating or by becoming a Patreon member where you'll get exclusive access to storm chasing content, forecasting information, and merchandise. You can find links to all of these at girlswhochase.com and in the show notes. Signing off for now, we'll see you under a mezzo.